0: Good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. Uh, for anybody who's maybe brand new with us, my name is Aaron Stern, I'm the lead pastor here, and I also want to take a moment and welcome everybody joining us online through the live stream. Can we just welcome everybody online today? Now, yeah. thanks for joining us. Throughout the summer as you're traveling, live stream on Sunday morning is such a great way to be able to stay connected. And uh, we also always long for when you're able to be here in person. So I grew up in a praying house. My mom especially was a faithful, consistent prayer involved in prayer meetings and leading prayer meetings and initiatives. And we were always a part of a praying church. And so um, prayer is very familiar to me as are long prayer meetings. When I was young, like in elementary school, middle school, um, it didn't take long for a prayer meeting to feel long, right? Uh, And nothing against long prayer meetings. um, But we're going to talk today about the most famous prayer in history, and it's 57 words long. It's the Lord's Prayer, 57 words in the original Greek. Fifty-seven words, only 57 words that take less than 30 seconds to say. Only 57 words to change our perspective on God, ourselves, and the world. Only 57 words that lead to flourishing and 57 words that can change the world. In those 57 words, there's five stanzas, and those five stanzas are packed full of freedom, power, and life. Now, for some of you, maybe you grew up in a church or a church tradition where you maybe said the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again, maybe every day or maybe every Sunday. And maybe for some of you, it even became rote. It was just like Charlie Brown's teacher, you know, wah, 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 wah. Not, not a whole lot of meaning. You're just kind of going through the motions. For others of you, maybe you didn't grow up in church, and so you're aware but unfamiliar. Or others that are like, I grew up in church, but I don't quite understand, or why would you not just pray what's on your heart in the moment? We're in a series, and have been for the last several months, and will be for the next several months, going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, and His most important sermon, if you will, because it is the words and ways of Jesus. We are walking our way through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we're in Matthew chapter 6, and we find the Lord's Prayer, right in the middle, right at the heart of the Lord's Prayer, or excuse me, the Sermon on the Mount. I wonder if one of the reasons is because prayer is at the heart of what the sermon is all about, and prayer must be the source by which we find the power to live out the Sermon on the Mount. If we are going to be people who respond in love and not violence. If we are to love our enemies or to be meek or to be peacemakers, I don't know about you, but I find that those aren't natural for me and I don't do those things with only my own strength, that Jesus is communicating to us that the only way to live like this is to be connected to the power that can enable us to live like this. And so we find ourselves in Matthew, Chapter six, verse 5. We're going to start in a few verses that we read last week, but it's Jesus talking about prayer and then into the Lord's Prayer today. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one so jesus here as he talks about prayer and then introduces the lord's what we know as the lord's prayer is contrasting two different types of ways to pray one is to pray like the pharisees or the pagans versus praying like jesus now jesus listeners in on this particular days he's preaching the sermon on the mount on right on the outside of uh, the on the edges of the sea of galilee his listeners would have prayed actually they would have been immersed in prayer. The vast majority of his listeners on this particular day would have been Jewish, and so they would have been listening to Jesus and having been uh, taught how to pray, heard about prayer, and prayed regularly, if not multiple times a day. So Jesus' encouragement here isn't, you should pray. Jesus is emphasizing and challenging how to pray. And so because his listeners have been used to praying and consistently involved in prayer, Jesus is sh- saying you have been shaped around the subject of prayer in some ways that need to be thrown out. You've been shaped by the Pharisees, the uber religious who have said that you need to pray in on the street corners. Is he saying don't pray out loud? No. He's saying don't be Pre-praying in such a way to make sure that other people see you. We talked a lot about this last week. I encourage you, if you weren't here, to listen or watch online. He says you should close the door instead. Now, is he is he saying that you can only pray behind closed doors? No, he's being hyperbolic in order to make a point that you should pray in a place to meet God, not to be seen by others, and also in a place not to be distracted. The 2022 version of this. Get your phone away from you. (laughs) Pray in such a way so you can be present and known and know God. So don't pray like the Pharisees, but also don't pray like the pagans, those who didn't call Yahweh God. Don't pray superstitiously. To pray superstitiously looked like babbling and using many words as he describes in this passage. And. Oftentimes, those who weren't praying to Yahweh would have, like the Pharisees were, they would have been praying to any of or a multitude of gods. And their goal by babbling and using lots of words was to somehow get the gods' attention, to somehow get them to notice them. And that looked like praying really loud and oftentimes maybe screaming and even potentially cutting themselves to somehow impress the God and communicate their devotion to God. So that somehow he'll notice them and then respond. Hey, I've done this and I've communicated my my passion and devotion to you. And as a result, then I'll get this. It's a very transactional way of understanding God. But Jesus says, your father knows what you need. Now, that might emote a couple or bring up a couple of things in in you, and one of them might be like, well, if he knows what I need, why do I need to pray? That's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is in contrast to the pagans babbling and trying to get them to notice, basically saying, oh, he knows and notices. He knows actually even what you need, even when you don't, or even when you think you know what you need. Because the reality is, is that we think we know what we need, but But if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always know or totally understand our desires, our longings, our fears, and our motivations. My boys say that they need chocolate for breakfast. They may think they know what they need, but their dad knows what they need. And God is the same way, which should be assuring and reassuring to us that even when we don't know what we need, He does. That He is not transactional, but He's relational. That He's not responding to our doing, that somehow, oh, you did it right, therefore now I'm going to respond, or you did it long enough. But He knows who we are. That, that we can come to Him with trust and with faith and know that He sees us. He sees you. He's attuned to you. He, his eyes are on you. He doesn't dismiss you or your desires. He doesn't overlook you. And then Jesus says, this is then how you should pray. Now, he's not saying exactly like this. Though exactly like this is not a bad thing, it actually provides a framework and a, and a foundation for praying, what I would say, similarly. So I think it's helpful to pray exactly in order to pray similarly. So it's a framework that Jesus is offering for us to enter into communion with the Father the way that Jesus did. Now the Lord's Prayer offers us several different things I'd like to, to suggest and talk about before we jump into our first stanza which we're going to talk about today which is our father in heaven hallowed be your name and we'll go through each stanza over the upcoming weeks but the lord's prayer does this the lord's prayer frees us from any anxiety that we aren't praying what pleases god so any enneagram ones in the room just breathe easy the enneagram one that says am i doing it right am i got to do it right i want to do it right The Lord's Prayer assures you that you are because because the Lord's Prayer reveals the heart and the mission of God. This is what's on God's heart, his name, his will, his kingdom, your provision, your his forgiveness and yours of others. Protection, those things are on God's heart. Pray those things and you're praying what pleases God. Notice how he didn't say, there's another passage in Luke where the disciples say to Jesus or ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Maybe again, because we've been taught to pray, but we've been taught to pray a little bit differently. And we see something different about the way that you interact with God. Notice how his response to that, and then of course emphasized here in the Sermon on the Mount, wasn't, oh, pray whatever you want. Pray when it's ever on your heart. Actually, he says, pray like this so that you pray what's on God's heart. And if you pray what's on God's heart, it will have impact on your life and there will be flourishing in yours and the world around you. So the Lord's Prayer frees us from any anxiety, but the Lord's Prayer also brings us into partnership with God for the renewal of all things. Now, if you'll notice, the Lord's Prayer is very God focused. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. And it goes on to what God does. But it is not a passive prayer like, okay God, if it's your will, do whatever you want. I'm just praying for it, I hope you, you know, enjoy that. I'm just sitting back here just passively praying. What Jesus encourages and the way that the grammar is and the and the tenses of the verbs and everything in the Lord's Prayer is very active. It is active prayer, meaning we don't just pray it passively, we pray it actively. But there's also something about participation about the prayer. In other words, it isn't like, "Okay, God, go do your will. No, it's okay. God, do your will in me that I might partner with you in your will, expressing itself on the earth. The Lord's Prayer is not a passive prayer. The Lord's Prayer is an active participation prayer that brings us into the work of God. The Lord's Prayer is also formational. And specifically, as we start talking about this first phrase, it starts with the word our. The Lord's Prayer, because of the use of our and we and us, there is no me, my or I in the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer pulls us from isolation to community. I hate to burst your bubble, but following Jesus is not about you and God. Oh, it's very personal. God knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows what you need. But it is not private. To walk with Jesus is communal. Our, we, and us is very countercultural in a world that is a me, my, and I world. Which is why the conversation around church, like, oh, do we need to go to church, wouldn't have made any sense to the first century Christians. And doesn't make any sense in relationship to the prayer that Jesus offers to us. Our, us, and we. Because, because, the church, the gathering of the people of God, the connectedness, the community was so important and is so important to our relationship with God. Our us and we reminds us that life with God is communal which is why we will pound the drum, which sometimes to you, some might even feel like beating a dead horse on getting into a city group, participating in community, jumping into connect, being consistent on a Sunday morning with gathering. Why? Just so that we can say, hey, look how many people showed up in the room. No, because it's so important for our flourishing in the kingdom of God. Life transformation happens in the context of relationships. And our, us, and we reminds us that we are not just connected in our little group, our city group, or our friend group. Our, us, and we reminds us that we are connected to the church around the world. That when we pray the Lord's Prayer, that when we gather, when we sing, when we honor God, that we are connected and praying with our Hispanic brothers and sisters. That when we pray Our Father, we're praying with our Middle Eastern brothers and sisters. We're praying with our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. And we're praying with our Russian brothers and sisters. And we're praying with our Asian brothers and sisters. And our white brothers and sisters. And our black brothers and sisters. Saying our, our, us, and we. Our, us, and we reminds us, therefore then, how much reconciliation and peacemaking matters. That we can't just say well i'm good and as long as i'm good then we're good no what jesus would be saying is if we're not good i'm not good that that we need to work on and not have an artificial harmony found in peacekeeping but we need to make for authentic relationship and reconciliation by being peacemakers and so here's jesus essentially incorporating the beatitudes blessed are the peacemakers into this prayer that we don't just read it, memorize it, and, okay, I now know the Beatitudes, that we pray it into our lives. But it isn't just like our, which means, oh, I just need to be a part of a. the Rotary Club bowling league. Our Father reminds us that it is fami- a familial community, that it is about a family not a social club or uniformity of ideas and interests, because our father reminds us of what unites us, that we are not united by how we vote. We are not united by our socioeconomic status. We are not united by our preference in music style. We are not united by a denomination. We are not united by our personal preferences surrounding uh, an idea. It is about us being united by our father in heaven. That, that our God and his redemptive purposes expressed fully in the life of Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, is what we as the people of God unite around. Now, for Jesus, first century listeners, to pray to God as Father was pretty countercultural. If you look into the Old Testament, specifically the Psalms, the prayer book, followers of Jesus. The Father is only used three times to reference God. It was pretty rare. They would have prayed the Psalms. But there was there's a lot of other descriptions about God and one of the traditional ways that God would have been referenced in the Jewish prayers of the first century would have been something like, blessed are you, O Almighty God, which He is, or blessed are you, Sovereign Lord, which He is. But Jesus does something important here, and that is introduces him first and expresses this throughout his ministry, referencing God as father. Why? Because architect of heaven and universal sovereign Lord, all those things are so true. But they start us at a place where we oftentimes think he's far off and unapproachable. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I want you to come to God. Fully and first and foremost. Oh, we'll get to the point and to the place where we realize that He is huge and awesome and beyond and bigger than, but I want you to start with Father. Now, for some of you, you think that is really unfortunate. Not that God is close, but that the that Father is the term that is utilized to approach God and to under best understand God. Because Because oftentimes our understanding of God is influenced by our earthly experience with the father. And so our understanding of God can get warped or misunderstood because of a bad experience with a bad father. So maybe I don't know what kind of dad you all had. Some of you have had wonderful dads and others of you have had the disappointed and not enough dad. You know, the dad that, that you got an A minus, but he, he didn't say, way to go on the A minus. He said, what could you have done in order to get the A? The, ah, yeah, almost. And there always was an almost. And there was, it was, eh, what else could you have done? Never highlighting and celebrating what was, but always talking about what could have been. And so you missed out on just the delight of the Father. Or maybe it was the, the annoyed dad. You know, always irritated, bothered, seemed like more of a bother than a joy. Doesn't seem like happy with you being around. Or maybe it was the if-then dad. You know, the, well, if you do this or if you do that, if you, if you make an A or if you make the team or if you're the all-star or if you get all the points or if you somehow succeed in this or you get the job or you get into this college or you get those kinds of grades or if you somehow, then you'll get my approval. Then you'll get my love. Then you'll get my affirmation. Or maybe it was the, the distant and un- uninvolved dad. Now, this can look like maybe never knowing your dad. This can look like the abandoned physically dad, but this can look like the dad who's very physically present, but emotionally totally not there. This can look like the dad that provides a roof over your head and food on a table, money in the college fund, and maybe even puts you into a church or a youth group or whatever in order to put you in the right places, but has no idea what's going on in your heart never took the moment to ask, never knew what was going on or never even seemed to care. Physically taken care of, but emotionally abandoned. And oftentimes what happens is if we had an if-then dad, then we think that God is an if-then God. Which means that I've got to perform in order to earn his love. Well, God is amazing, but he's distant. and He doesn't really care. Sure, he provides, and he's faithful, and we sing about how he's good, but that doesn't really mean a whole lot to me because it doesn't go very deep. Or I, I don't want to really approach God and give it, I, you know, it's got to be so desperately like death's doorstep kind of important because otherwise he's kind of annoyed and irritated and why are you bothering me? But the reality is, is that God is not a reflection of our earthly fathers. He is a perfect father. And the amazing and beautiful thing that Jesus is doing in this prayer and does throughout His life on the earth is to invite us into His experience and understanding of Father God. A compassionate Father. A Father who sees you and knows you and loves you. A Father who's attentive and cares about what bothers you cares about the pain, cares about the ways in which you have longings and desires. He's welcoming and He's warm. He's kind and He's gentle. He's comforting. He's close. And He pursues you. Like He's coming after you. Wants, knows everything and wants to know you. And even when you blow it, says, come on home. We see it in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. He blows up his life. The prodigal son says, I think that I can do this on my own. I think I'd rather do it outside of my father's house realizes that that was a mistake, has nothing, is at the bottom of the barrel, has hit rock bottom, says, well, it's better to live in my dad's house even if I'm working for my dad, so I'll just come home and work for my dad. And his dad runs down the road and says, welcome home, my son. You smell, but that's okay, because I'm gonna give you some sandals and a ring and a robe, and we're gonna have a party. My son's home. It wasn't a finger-wagging. I cannot believe you. Now you get in here. No, no, no. He says, hey, everybody, my son is home. Come on, we're gonna celebrate. That is the arms and the heart of a loving and a perfect father. And that's what he says to you. And that's what he says to me today. Come home. And some of you are like, no way. Like, I didn't even have, like, I wish I had some of the dads that you just described. My dad was abusive. My dad was downright mean and harmful, hurtful all the time. I understand why you would say that, but the Holy Spirit of God can make things different. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8: the spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, which we receive and is active and alive in our lives at salvation, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the spirit of God, God, we cry. Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for dad. Not just like, oh yeah, biological father. No, like comforting, loving, knowing one who's happy to embrace me and welcoming me home and saying, come on, I want to know. That can happen and does happen by the power of the Spirit. Jesus in this prayer doesn't leave us at, you know, just have this like relaxed relationship with God. You know, Jesus is my homeboy. Oh, come close. But the beautiful thing about this father is that he is huge. So no matter what request you bring to him, no matter what hurt you bring to him, he can heal it. He's got the power and the might, and he is beyond anything that you could ever imagine. So he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Revered is your name. He transitions from close and near to huge and beyond. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Where Your Treasure Is, said, the self is persistent, quiet, subtly, ingeniously. It works itself back to center. See, the Lord's Prayer, though, draws the focus from self to God. Our tendency is holy is my name. But the Lord's prayer as we pray it and it becomes integrated into the fabric of who we are and how we think and our biblical imagination in relationship to God and ourselves is to draw us away from putting self on the center of our throne and putting God on the center of our lives. To bring this just a little step further, William Willimon and Stanley Hauervoss in their book, Lord Teach Us, both theologians, said the Lord's prayer is like a bomb ticking in church. Just in case you're thinking it's like mm, this nice little prayer, waiting to explode and demolish our temples to false gods. It may have slipped past you, but anytime you make a statement like, holy be your name, you have made a revolutionary claim that promises to land you in the middle of a conflict, maybe even war. What conflict? What war are you talking about, God or guys? <laughs> the war between self and God as the as where our allegiance lies. The war between self or between God and spouse. Whole, which one has the throne of our hearts? Which one is the one that we serve and give our, the first desire of our heart? The war between any other name above God's name. The war over kids could be spouse could be ourself, it could be a career, it could be a politician, it could be our country. Whatever it might be to pray, holy or hallowed be your name, is to disrupt the potentials for what might have found its way to the center of our lives. And so, may your glory is the first desire of our heart. Sounds a lot like another beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God have God as their one focus, which echoes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we want God's name and His rulership and reigning to happen all over the world. And so, 57 words. Fifty-seven words is our practice for the next several weeks, to memorize the fifty-seven words of the Lord's Prayer as a way to incorporate them into our lives, for us to be transformed by them, to not just pray them for the next few weeks, but to pray them then for the rest of our lives as a framework, as a way to pray like Jesus. So. Memorize this week the first stanza, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then every day, take time to pray specifically that stanza. Next week, we'll pray the next line. So spend time emphasizing and praying, God, thank you that you are a Father. I thank you for my brothers and sisters around the world, and I thank you for the ways that you are a perfect father, not a, reflect, a reflection of my earthly father, and the ways that he might have failed me or not quite lift up, lived up to that. God, I pray that I would a, get a revelation of what it looks like for you to be the perfect father that cares and knows and doesn't dismiss and is attentive. God, I pray that I would embody the heart of the Father God and express that to the world around me. Would you fill me with that kind of love? And God, I pray that your name would be made holy in my life that I, any other name would be taken off of the throne of my heart and you O oh God the beginning and the end the healer and the provider thank you that you are near and you're close but you are strong and you are mighty that you are able so I honor you I make you holy and put you as king and ruler over my life those are the kinds of prayers that want us to be praying each day For some of you here today, you might find yourself in a place where you're like, I, "I've never quite prayed like that." Maybe you find yourself in a place where you realize, I've, "I've tried to put self at the center," and maybe you find yourself like the prodigal son today, realizing, "Like man, I'm, I kind of made a mess." The beautiful thing is that God is still welcoming his sons and daughters home. His table's long enough for you. And he's calling you home today. Your next step today is to cross the line of faith and say, God, I give you my life. I trust you. I want you to be father, to know you in the way that you are perfect father. Would you give me a revelation? To live out of that reality. So we want to memorize and pray that each and every week, every day this week. I want, us, I want us to leave this place, though, out of a place of understanding and running to the Father. So Callie and team are going to lead us in the song called Run to the Father. As we sing this together, I, I want to encourage you. Maybe, maybe you find yourself wanting to stand up. Maybe you find yourself wanting to stay seated, but open your arms, whatever the case might be. Maybe you want to kneel, whatever you want to do in response. But I, I pray that each one of our hearts would be open to the reality of who God is to each one of us. Let's sing this together.